I'd ask that you would take God's Word in your hands and turn to uh, the Gospel of Luke this morning. Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 uh, through 20. And uh, it's kind of a second part. Uh, If you weren't uh, with us last uh, night, we're going to ask that you stay afterwards, and I'll give you last night's message so you can be a part of that. I won't do that, but uh, I do want to tell you last night we had a full house here on uh, Christmas Eve and a great job by our uh, worship team uh, leading us, uh, singing lots of carols and just a beautiful, beautiful service with candlelight and uh, just neat to see how God uh, uses great services like that to uh, tell us a little bit more about who he is and, and what he's all about. And I preached a message speaking about the message of Christmas, the message that was announced by uh, the angel and then, of course, the heavenly host that spoke to uh, the uh, shepherds on that uh, evening of Christmas Eve speaking and announcing the Savior's birth. And today, I want to go just a little farther in that same passage and look at how we are to respond and look how some of the first characters of that uh, Christmas story responded uh, to the message of Christmas. And so let's look at our text, and then we're going to learn how we ought to celebrate as Christians this Christmas. It says, uh, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, a great multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they have seen and heard as it had been told to them. You know, we do a lot of talking in churches about how uh, we ought to respond to Christmas. And I may create a little bit of a controversy today to say that it is good for us to celebrate. If there is any emotion that we have with regards to Christmas, celebrating should be a part of it. Now this contentiousness around Christmas and the over-commercialization and materialism surrounding this holiday was very much a part of Christmas 130 years ago in Great Britain. One of my favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon, has a message that's archived where he tells his people that they ought to be celebrating the great season of Christmas. But he goes on and he tells them, don't just do it as Christians might. He says, do it as all people should. 
It is a celebration. And so he said to his people, it is time to hang the holly, to put up the mistletoe. You ought to be throwing parties and giving gifts. You should be singing carols, drinking eggnog, and be in eating very big meals with family and friends. He says your job as Christians is to decorate a tree and to have some fun. Now, Spurgeon was never known to be a liberal. In fact, he was all about the supremacy of God in every way. And what he is saying is, is that we as Christians ought to be in a celebratory mood celebrating the gift of Jesus Christ. Now, that celebration should involve worship. I'm so glad to see a great turnout both at our Christmas Eve and our Christmas Day services because it shows that our heart says that God is preeminent. Christ is to be preeminent not only in our worship every other Sunday, but even when it comes to Christmas Day. That we put away the time maybe that we'll sit around the tree and opening gifts and say, Lord, you come first. But all of that other stuff, while it may find itself being overly done by our worldly friends and neighbors, those are good things to be a part of. During this Christmas season, we had some friends over who saw Christmas just a little differently than we did. I love them, and uh, it was a point of contention. You know, one of those awkward moments that you have with close friends, Noah was talking about Santa Claus. He was talking about, you know, I just don't know how Santa Claus does it, how he gets to all of the houses. And he says, the Asians must get their stuff uh, a day before. And there was a little girl in the room, and she said, Daddy, Noah says stuff about Santa. What do you say about Santa? Oh, yes, she says, Santa and all that stuff is what sad, materialistic people think during Christmas. I wanted to leave the room. But Noah said the right thing. He says, well, that doesn't sound like much fun. I'll stick with my Christmas. I know I may be uh, poking some people, maybe where it hurts a little bit, but all of that is to say, it's not bad to celebrate with some of the things that we have created as traditions. Charles Spurgeon was right. Have fun. Enjoy the time with family and friends. But the thing I want to challenge you with today is that while all of those things are good, except for the giving of gifts, none of those traditions that we celebrate find themselves in the Christmas narrative. And so what we need to be careful with is that we don't forget the things that we do see. And that's what I want to spend our time this morning looking at. Because I see three activities that must be involved in our Christmas. Because if we just do all that other fun stuff, as great as it is, as my son says, as fun as it is, then we're like the rest of the world. But we know and we recognize that Christmas has something greater. And the Christmas narrative gives us the answer to those things. There are three activities, brothers and sisters, that I want you to be a part of this Christmas, and I want to be a part of our lives all year round. I want you to be thinking today, as you go to your family and friends, not wondering if you're going to get the, the best seat in the living room for the Bears game and the opening of an NBA season, 
or how much food you're looking forward to eating. But I want you to move beyond that and start living out what the Word says that is important this Christmas. The first one involves the shepherds, and it involves us today. And that is the first activity that we must do as Christians, is we must do our best to go and see the manger of Christmas. If you want to be following along, there's note uh, sheets in the bulletin, and you can put some of these things in there. We need to see the manger. Three times in the text, we see that the shepherds use this word, let's go and see. They want to be a part of seeing what they've heard from the angels that night. They did what they were called to do. The angels remind us in their sharing about where the child would be born a command. Go see. Don't just take our word for it. We want you to go and experience it for yourself. There's a command in there for us. A command that during this Christmas season, before it's too late, that you and I would stop what we're doing and we would go and see the manger this Christmas. Not just the manger or the animals or the things surrounding it, but the centerpiece of the manger being Christ who was born. We need to make sure we move those things out of the way. Now notice one of the things that the manger should bring is a great expectation. Notice what the text says. It says that the disciples, or disciples, I'm sorry, the shepherds say, let's go and see. They wanted to experience this great phenomenon. They wanted to do what they could to go and make sure that they were a part of what had been announced to them. Now, we get this idea that, okay, the angel comes, and that he appears, and the angel tells them, I want you to go to Bethlehem, and you can see it, and here's the sign that will tell you you're in the right place. And we get this idea that they just ran off. But scholars tell us that good shepherds would never have done that. That shepherds would have had to figure out who's going to watch the flock. Who's going to take care of all of their things. This was going on during work. And so they couldn't just hurry off without taking care of some important needs. In that, I see something that we must be reminded of. We too are busy this Christmas. We too have a lot going on. But the thing that I want us to know and to hear today is that the shepherds got all of their busy work out of the way so they could go see Jesus. We have it the other way around many times. We say, well, let's make sure church gets done because we've got things to do. Let's make sure that we don't uh, do too much with the church because we've got to get home and open gifts. And we've got it turned around. The shepherds did it right. They said, let's get the busy work out of the way. Let's figure out who's going to watch our flock. Let's make sure who's going to take care of the needs that we have at our work. And then we are going to do all that we can to get to Jesus because they were filled with expectation. Do you come in this morning filled with great expectation of how God is going to meet you? That God has called you to a place and to that place to meet Jesus face to face. Sadly, amidst all of the great traditions that we have, one of the last things we expect is for Jesus to meet us during Christmas. Oh, we expect great things from the fat guy in the red suit. We expect great things from family and friends. We expect great things to be under the tree. But very rarely do we expect great things from God. 
The shepherds were filled with expectancy, wanting to see what God had announced to them. And we need to do the same. Notice it, it involved great excitement. It says they hurried off. They had one goal in mind. They wanted to get to the manger. They wanted to see what had been told to them. They accomplished all that they needed to because they expected something great. And it moved them to action. One of the things that we need to do as Christians is make sure that we have a heart of expectation and that we just don't leave it there, but we run to it. We get to it as quickly as possible. It means priority. It means putting other things to the side so that you can be a part of experiencing what the shepherds did that first Christmas. The manger, it seems, doesn't bring much excitement to us. It doesn't invoke much passion. I saw that on, uh, yesterday at my in-law's house. We have a, a little tradition that we do where the youngest child uh, goes to the nativity scene, and because of Christmas Eve, the youngest child takes the baby Jesus and puts them into the manger. Well, I didn't think that there would be much passion invoked by that. It's a simple thing. Little kid takes the baby, puts the baby in the manger, and then we can go and eat. But you don't know my middle son, Joshua. I look over to Joshua, and Amanda says, something's wrong with Josh. And Josh is shaking. And his eyes, he's had tears in his eyes, and he is being filled with what I would call a holy anger. And the anger is what? He didn't get to put baby Jesus in the manger. And he looked at his Nana, and, and he's looking her down, and, and there's all kinds of thoughts, and I don't even want to go there, on why his youngest cousin got to do it. There was a desire to want to be a part of that experience. And so then what happened was, Every one of the grandchildren, with great pomp and circumstance, put Jesus in, took Jesus out. Put Jesus in, took Jesus out. While his response wasn't the greatest, I like Josh's passion. He was selfish about encountering and experiencing Jesus. I asked him, why did you get so mad? He said, because it's not Christmas if I don't get to put Jesus in the manger. I need to listen to my son. And I need to know it's not Christmas until I experience Jesus. Out of the mouth of babes, God has ordained praise. But we're busy. And we want to go and we want to watch the football games and we want to eat good food and all of that's great except for the football part. Some of you understand that. I don't want to hear the Calhouns about the Packers. But we need to experience Jesus this Christmas. But notice the next thing that comes. The shepherds show us excitement. They show us expectation. But leave it to a mom to go deeper because we see that we are to be involved in a second activity, and that is to savor the moments of Christmas. Notice verse 19 in our text. 
It says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. We see a response that because of all the activity and all the fanfare, we don't find ourselves as Americans doing during this celebration of Christmas. It's much different than the shepherds, and it's something that we find missing many days in our celebration. The treasuring of things surrounding that first Christmas. The word treasured there that Mary does has the idea of counting things up, almost as if making a list so that you won't forget anything. I was cleaning my desk where I study and where I do the bills and all of that, and I came upon a notebook. And the notebook had all kinds of entries in it. And I don't know if I've ever known that Amanda's had this notebook, but in this notebook was filled with dates and a paragraph saying the following. When Noah was two, he did this. And here was our response. Joshua, while going to the doctor, did this. And we laughed or we uh, were enjoying Joshua's mannerisms. When Luke was small and page after page, as I read, I recollect, uh, had a recollection of those moments. Can I be honest with you? Had I not read those things, they would have been gone. But I've married a good woman and a great mom. And she wants to treasure up those things. She doesn't want to forget them. She wants to make a list of them so that she will always remember them. This is what Mary was doing. She was writing down, if you will, in her heart. We don't know if it was on paper. But she was writing in her heart, don't forget this. Don't forget that. Remember all that took place. Now, she did it for a couple reasons, I'm sure. Number one, just to see the awe of all of it. And number two, so she could share it with those children, the next generation who would hear it. But Luke just tells us that she treasured up those things. But it goes on and it says that she pondered them as well. It's simply not just writing them down on a list. But the word pondered there in the Greek goes much deeper. It means to take the events as you've laid them out in your memory and to get beneath the surface, to try to understand what it means and why it all happened. What Mary was wanting to do was to draw out every morsel of understanding of that first Christmas, of that divine encounter. And we need to do the same thing. Let's look at what she might have been pondering. I think it's easy for us to speculate and probably be right on to know that Mary was probably pondering in some regards as to the words of the Lord. It's not hard for us to go back to Luke 1 and remember Mary is living her life. She's a young woman, the Bible says, who's faithful. The Bible who tells us is full of grace. And this wonderful young lady on a day that she would never forget, an angel appears to her and says, even though you've had no union with a man, I'm going to conceive in you that which is from the Holy Spirit. You will be the mother 
of the long-awaited Messiah. I wonder if as Mary was holding that baby on that first Christmas day, that she was remembering back to those words nine months prior and saying, wow, I can't believe the Lord sent an angel with a heavenly message for me. I wonder if she went on wondering about the works of the Lord. It's one thing to be told that you're going to have a baby. But it really doesn't take all that uh, much uh, flesh to it, if you will, until you start feeling that baby kicking within your womb. And then to think, as she watched uh, her cousin Elizabeth, who was well advanced in years having a child, and seeing her even farther along, and saying, wow, God is up to something great. It isn't that God just has shared some words with us, but now he's showing it. It's an amazing thing to think. Knowing what she knew, no relationship with Joseph, that now she was holding God incarnate. Pondering the words of the Lord, pondering the works of his hand, and then on top of it, embracing the wonder of it all. I wonder if Mary was sitting there with Joseph just saying, wow, God, you're amazing. God, you have done great and marvelous things. Oh, if we would just begin to treasure and ponder the things of the Lord. When was the last time amidst our busyness that we took up God's word and poured over it and said, wow, Lord, you have promised us great and wonderful things. You have spoken to us in a way as a loving father and mother speaks to their children, and we are blessed for it. Can you look back at this year and not just look to the words that have been spoken to us, but can you look back this year and say, God, you have been very, very good to me. You have ministered to me. I haven't had everything that I've wanted because I don't need all of that, but everything I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness. This is what Mary is doing. She's pondering it, and, and it goes even beyond just saying, Lord, you've, you've met our needs financially. Lord, we're healthy. Uh, Lord, you've kept me in a job. All of those things are great. But have you pondered the grace behind it? I deserve nothing but God's eternal wrath and his eternal punishment in a place called hell. Why, God? Why would you be so kind to me? What have I brought to you, God? You have nothing that I can give you. You have everything that, that you need. I can't give you anything. Why, God, have you given me and shown me this grace. This is what Mary said after the great annunciation of Gabriel, announcing that she would be with child. Who am I? Who am I that you would do such great things through me? We need to ponder that. We need our children to see us pondering the grace of Almighty God. God, who are we that you would send your son, Jesus? What a gift. We don't deserve it. And we want to know why you've done it. 
Not so that we can tell the world our, our great theological answers, so that we can experience the wonder of it all. Mary shows us that there's a solitary place, a secluded place in our celebration. I'm going to give you an assignment, and it's a personal assignment. And that is sometime before this holiday season is done, that you would get away, and in the quietness of your heart, just rehearse again what God has done for us. Open the Word and, and read some of what God says to us. And then spend some time just thanking God and saying, God, I don't understand it, but I'm so thankful that you've poured out your grace upon me. The final thing that I want us to see this morning is that if we want to celebrate right this Christmas, it involves sharing the message of Christmas. Notice for a moment verse 18 and verse 20. It says the following, going back now to the shepherds. It says that the shepherds then went and they saw all that was told of them concerning the child, verse 17, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And at the end it says, the shepherds returned, in verse 20, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The final thing that we need to do this Christmas is share the message of Christmas. Not just the message of all our traditions, but the story of Jesus, who is God, leaving all that heaven affords and coming to earth. This message should impact two things that we do. It should impact the way we witness. The shepherds had experienced something amazing that first Christmas. And notice what the response is when you have a true and real encounter with Jesus. You can't help yourself but tell others about it. You want to know if you're experiencing Christ this Christmas? Well, let me ask you this. Who have you told about the real meaning and real reason for the season? Because I will tell you, just like the shepherds, when we experience Jesus, there will be nothing that can hold us back from telling others about it. The shepherds go and they announce it to all those who will listen what happens. And in verse 18 it says, and all were amazed, the NIV says. It says in the ESV, all wondered. There was a wonder to it. Why would there be a wonder to it? Let me tell you what they would have announced. They go to their, their back to their workplaces, and I want you to think about this in your own workplaces. You go and you, you come back from a busy weekend, and you go back to work on Monday. Hey, Bob, how was, how was your weekend? Well, I'm glad you asked. I was hanging out in the backyard, and all of a sudden there was an angel in the sky. And the angel started talking to me. And the angel said he had good news for me. And he said that I needed to go off to the local town and to a particular little place and in a manger there was a baby and this baby is the son of God who will take away our sins. Bob, what did you do this weekend? I think we miss out on the craziness of their story. And when we miss out on the craziness of their story, 
then when it says that everybody wondered, we just read it and go on. Let me tell you something. It is a miracle that the people around them were in awe. You shepherds saw what? You went to a manger, to a barn, and you worshiped this baby who was in a feeding trough? You guys, what have you been eating? What have you been doing out there? I mean, shepherd's kind of questionable, but come on. But the text tells us that everybody was amazed. Why? They brought forth a fairy tale of a story. And the answer is this, my friends. The people saw the change in the shepherds. They couldn't dispute the story because of changed lives. They couldn't dispute that a group of them had seen this heavenly host of of celestial beings because their lives had been changed. Let me tell you something. The way that we explain the hard truths of Christianity to our friends and to our family, what may seem like fairy tales to an unbeliever will be made realistic when they see the change in us. When there's like, wow, Bob, you're a different guy. Tim, you're not the same. Your love for others, your patience with others, your desire to show grace and mercy to others is not of this world. And then you can be able to say, you're right. It came from one who left his throne in heaven who came to live a life to show me how to live and to die in my place. An unrealistic story, I will agree. But that unrealistic story has changed my life forever. And if you're a child of God this morning, I know then you can say as well, it's changed mine. Now let's live that way. Let's live with Christmas changing who we are, transforming us. So when we announce this story of our great God in heaven who came to earth, people will believe and stand in awe of it. It leads to one more thing, and that is worship. Verse 20 says, they glorified and praised God. I want you to understand something very um, unique that I had not seen before in this text, and I've preached from this text numerous times, was that they went home. They went home. I don't know about you, but you've seen an angel that night, and you go to Bethlehem and you worship a child, and then at some point someone looked at their watch. I'm sure some of you are now looking at your watch. And someone said, all right, we can't do this forever. We have to go home. And they got up and left to go back to their stinky fields with their stinky flocks, doing their grubby jobs, living their normal lives. But there's something that we need to remember, something that I want us to engage in this Christmas. And that is your worship doesn't end here. It goes on when we get home. They went back to their jobs. They went back. I'm sure it was great and wonderful to worship the Lord Jesus in the manger, but they went back to the normalcy of life. But what did not stay the same was that they continued to glorify God. I'm so glad you guys came today. I'm so glad that you came to glorify and praise the name of Jesus. But here's a word from your preacher. 
Don't stop doing it when you leave Bliss Road in 47. Keep doing it. Keep worshiping and praising God. Keep bringing Jesus back into your traditions. Why do we open gifts? Because we remember the giving of the greatest gift of all. Don't make technology your Messiah, your King. Be thankful for the TV that Amanda bought me. Hint, hint. <laughs> Enjoy those things. Celebrate them. But re remembering why we give gifts. Why do we bring family around? Because we praise God that he saw fit to be born into a family. To be dependent on a mom and dad. For that child to bring great joy to his parents. That's why we gather as a people, as a family. It's not so that we can just engage in little conversation that we can show the love that Christ experienced that first Christmas to those around us. Bring Christ into every focus of every earthly tradition that we do so that Christ will be glorified. Make Christ the reason for this Christmas. Bring him in so that you can be a part of seeing the manger this Christmas, so you can savor the moments of this Christmas, and you hopefully, with God's help, will be able to share the message this Christmas. God bless you all. You're a joy to serve. You're a joy to have as a part of my life. One of the greatest gifts God has ever given me is you, the church. And it's a pleasure to have you here this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We love you for your gift. Oh, God, you've been so good to us. Now, Lord, I pray that we would be challenged by the people of that first Christmas, that we would do the difficult things, the difficult things of not making just the things in the here and now preeminent, but to be brought back to the manger, to be brought back to look at that little baby, to be brought back to remember why you sent your son. Lord, let us ponder these things. Let us treasure them up. Not as just another, well, just another Christmas sermon, but Father, one that would enlighten and engage our hearts in a new way. So that as a result, as we leave this place, we would share with all of those around us of the greatness of the Christmas story and the indescribable nature of the gift that you gave us in your son Jesus. Father, I pray if there's anyone this morning that has come here who has never experienced the true gift of Christmas, that today they would talk with the person that brought them, they would come and talk with me, they would talk with the person sitting next to them and say, how can I receive the greatest gift of them all so that today, would be a day that they remember the greatest gift of Christmas is your son, Jesus Christ. We love you. It's been a pleasure serving you, Lord. It's been a pleasure proclaiming your name. It's been a pleasure to praise your name in song. We love you, Jesus, and we're thankful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.